Hello Blazers, welcome to a special bonus episode of UAB Green and Told, original air date, Thursday, March 26th, 2020. UAB Green and Told gives us the chance to share the stories of members of the UAB family. I'm Greg Berry, Assistant Director in the UAB Office of Alumni Affairs. Today we're talking with Dr. Bertha Hidalgo about the novel coronavirus, or COVID-19. Dr. Hidalgo is an epidemiologist in the UAB School of Public Health and a UAB alumna. Today's conversation starts with the basic question of what exactly is COVID-19? So COVID-19 is the disease that's called, um, that's caused by SARS-CoV-2. So SARS-CoV-2 is the virus that causes COVID-19. SARS-CoV-2 is part of the family of coronaviruses. So it's in the same family as the viruses that cause SARS, which we heard about in 2003, Mm -hmm. MERS, the common cold. So there are the flu, for example. So there are all these different types of viruses that cause different diseases. And it so happens that this virus, which is about 96% genetically identical to the SARS virus of the 2002-2003 years, was called SARS-CoV-2 to some extent because of the genetic similarity and because also things were just moving so fast that, you know, the time that one normally takes to name viruses, I think, was drastically shortened. But that virus, the SARS-CoV-2, is what we know absolutely to to cause COVID-19. And COVID-19 is a cluster of symptoms. Um, We have seen that not all symptoms present in all people, but generally, and UAB has really great guidance actually about what these symptoms are and um, highly encourage that everyone that's listening go to the UAB coronavirus webpage to identify what all of that information is that they've compiled. But essentially, um, people are reporting um, headache, dry cough, um, like pressure in the chest, fever. There have been some reports of diarrhea, for example, shortness of breath. I think shortness of breath is probably the um, most telling symptom that we've identified for COVID-19 so far. And so it, but you know, again, it just varies by individual. And you'll hear in the media about some people who have tested positive that mm-hmm. haven't necessarily experience the cluster of sin, of symptoms that I've described or that are described on a lot of the materials that are circulated about COVID-19. And so that's, I think, part of the challenge that we're facing is that you may not know that you are sick in a case where the symptoms are mild enough that you're dismissing it as a common cold, right? And there is, we believe, a pre-symptomatic phase during which people may also be infectious and be able to pass on the virus to other people. So there is a lot that we're learning right now about the epidemiology, transmissibility of COVID-19. And that's why we urge people to social distance and to stay at home as much as possible because we're still very much boots on the ground trying to figure out who's infected, who's displaying symptoms, the people that are most sick need to go to the hospital and be treated. And, you know, the more that we can avoid the transmission of this virus, 
the more that we can spread out who gets it all at once so that we don't overwhelm our hospitals, healthcare workers, and physicians. So going off of that, since it's very similar um, to some other cases, uh, the, the common flu, cold, um, SARS, things like that, and it can have mild symptoms, at what point do you say, okay, I do need to go to the doctor to make sure this isn't COVID-19? Right. So what, what is currently being recommended is that if at any point uh, a person feels shortness of breath, right? So this is typically something that you may not feel with other respiratory infections okay. or diseases. If you feel like you have shortness of breath, they are recommending that you call your primary care doctor, explain what the symptoms are so that you can uh, obtain additional guidance. If the shortness of breath becomes so aggravated that you are gasping for air, for example, right, absolutely call 911. Let them know if you have any indication that you have been exposed to someone potentially who has COVID-19. And so it's very important to verify with a healthcare professional, either your primary care doctor, an urgent care center, whomever you can get a hold of. Um, if you have shortness of breath and it, if it's so aggravated that you really are worried about how you're breathing and how much oxygen you're taking in, then I would call 911. You mentioned social distancing a little bit ago as one way to protect yourself against getting COVID-19. Are there other things that people can do to, to at least limit the exposure to this? Social distancing is happening in different ways for different people. Myself, for example, I am someone who can remote work. Mm -hmm. And so my children and I have been home since Friday the 13th, Friday, March 13th, and have not left the house except to go on bike rides, play outside, you know, just ourselves, not with other kids or other families. And so we have truly social distanced ourselves from other people. There are people who cannot and are essential workers. And my husband is one of those people. So things that you can do if you are an essential worker or if you have to go out for groceries because you're running low at, at home, what's most important is staying within six feet of other people that you come across maintaining good hand hygiene. So if you still, you know, if you're one of the lucky ones who got Purell or some other type of hand sanitizer before they all sold out and went for $40 on Amazon per ounce, then you can carry that and use that to put on your hands after you touch the handles of the shopping carts or doorknobs or what have you. But more than anything, hand washing is absolutely so important. And they say for at least 20 seconds. The reason that we say this is because the virus is a small set of genes that is enclosed by like a fatty layer. It has a fatty covering. Okay. And soap can help dissolve the covering of the virus. And so by washing your hands with soap, you're essentially tearing apart or breaking apart the virus so that it inactivates it. Uh, hand sanitizers with at least 60% ethanol are also very effective. Um, that also helps to break apart the virus. Uh, and so if you are out and about or you're working, it's really important that anytime you touch a surface that you sanitize your hands to some extent 
water and soap is preferred, if not hand sanitizers or wipes. But beyond that, most important is to not touch your face. So the virus will enter through the wet surfaces on your face, which include your eyes, your nose, and your mouth. And so trying to keep your hands away from your face as much as possible will help reduce the chances that you are picking up virus from surfaces um, or by shaking other people's hands, for example, and then bringing them into your system through your eyes, nose, or mouth. How does COVID-19 spread? So that's another good question. We have some limited data that has been published, published so far. If you go to the World Health Organization, you will find some language that says that studies suggest that most of the transmission happens through person to person, which means that someone is coughing or sneezing near you or someone is coughing and sneezing into their hand and you shook their hand or they touched your face or they touched surfaces that you immediately went and touched soon thereafter um, and then you touched your face. So that seems to be the most common way that this is transmitted. It is still unclear. There is a lot of debate about, people will hear about the aerosols there is a lot of, I would say, misinformation about how long, if someone sneezes or coughs, how long those droplets stay in the air. There was one paper that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine that said that aerosols could remain in the air up to three hours. So does that mean that if you're out walking your dog and someone coughed you know, an hour ago, and you're walking by that that virus is still aerosolized in that space? Probably not, right? I think the when people cough and sneeze, the droplets that come out of their nose or their mouth are heavier and bigger than the droplets that they tested in the laboratory for that paper. It has implications, however, if you're intubating a patient, for example, the aerosols that come out when you are treating someone who has to be intubated. Those are separate conditions, and I think that data is very pertinent to the physicians that are dealing with that. For the common person who is out for a walk or is going to be near people, maintaining that six-foot distance, we believe that the droplets that will come out of your nose or mouth will travel as far as about three feet. And so keeping a six-foot distance from someone is really safe. And then beyond that, ensuring that any surface that you touch, because they also tested how long the virus lives on, say, for example, cardboard, steel, and plastic, that sort of thing, that if you touch surfaces like that and you don't have any certainty that someone who's sick, for example, may have touched them, it's really important that if you handle those types of surfaces that you immediately wash your hands for 20 seconds with soap and water and try and not touch your face before doing so. When it comes to people who are most susceptible, um, it's leading men, it's leading older, but this disease really doesn't have any demographics that it strikes. I mean, it's omnipresent and anybody can get it. That's absolutely correct. Yes. So this can affect all ages. I think that the data that was coming out of China initially was misinterpreted. I I believe that what they were reporting was all that they could get at that time. But additionally, a lot of the data that we were seeing was um, related to mortality. 
And so the mortality data that was coming out of China was suggesting that it trended older, that it trended towards men. So in China, what you see a lot is that there is a high smoking prevalence, especially among men. And that is something that increases your risk for COVID-19 because of the damage that exists through smoking or yep. as a cause of smoking. I would caution that every country has different cultures and different existing potential underlying conditions. So for example, in the US and especially in the South, we tend to have high rates of cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, even smoking. And so because we have such rate, high rates of those conditions, and we have such high rates at all ages, probably not pediatric populations, but any, any age really over the age of 19 or 20, I would say, could be at risk. And kids also get, let me just rephrase, kids also get COVID-19. They just tend to fare better, although we have seen hospitalizations in pediatric populations as well. What about COVID-19 maybe out there that I haven't asked you? that is important for the general audience to know? We haven't really covered this issue of how long. And I know that there are a lot of questions about that. And I will say that the social distancing measures that we have in place right now are being adhered to in different ways by different people. I have taken social distancing very seriously. We, you know, the kids and I don't, really leave the house. My husband is the designated shopper since he has to go back and forth to work and we have procedures for him to like, you know, wash his hands as soon as he comes in the house, that sort of thing. But we have seen a lot about these kids who have been on spring break, neighborhoods where kids are still playing with each other and neighbors are hanging out in each other's homes. The longer that we don't adhere fully to the social distancing measures, the longer this will continue. And it's, you know, a lot of what they did in China and Singapore and South Korea to alleviate the drastic overwhelming of their hospitals. You know, Italy to some point just recently in the last three weeks or so put in effect orders that made everyone stay at home with curfews and that sort of thing. And I'm not sure that we've moved in that direction yet here in the U.S., but really is probably what it's going to take to make sure that we maintain our hospital at a capacity um, or under capacity, I should say. If you follow the news closely about our numbers, our numbers are increasing exponentially. And UAB is a hospital that services a lot of rural areas as well where we don't have hospitals for people who may get sick. And so we face some very interesting challenges in the state. So it's really important that people in Alabama, but beyond Alabama, really take the social distancing very seriously, because I think it's going to be important not only if you get COVID-19, but if you get into a car accident or if you have some sort of, you know, emergency surgery that needs to happen that has nothing to do with COVID-19, you may not be able to get the care that you need because our hospitals are so busy trying to tackle this COVID-19 problem. 
UAB has put together a comprehensive online resource page. You can find a wealth of information at uab.edu slash coronavirus. Meanwhile, check out other episodes of our podcast by visiting alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold and be the first to listen to new episodes by subscribing on Spotify and iTunes. And while you're there, leave a written review so others can find us as well. And don't forget to follow us on social media. We are at UAB Alumni on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. And go Blazers.